Thank you for listening to this free audiobook created by Project Gutenberg and Microsoft AI. To learn more about the project or give feedback on the quality of a recording, please visit aka.ms/audiobook. Hadapada by Gamunder Kamban. Forward. The value of this play lies in the fact that, beneath the surface, it vibrates with the quivering, intensely pulsating forces of life. The speeches breathe. The leading characters not only have perspicuity, but each has its own representative melodic theme. There is as music under the text, a constant accompaniment of exquisite passion, rising, sinking, and now rising once more, in a struggle with vacillating sensual pleasure and base inclination to supersede others. Around the simple action there is an atmosphere of poetry. The play opens with the superstition of olden times, in the old nurse's tale about the life egg, suggested to her by a crystal ball, with which the sisters are playing. Modern superstition is woven into the beautiful scene, where Hadapada, with heroically mastered despair, meets the herborist who talks of her plants in a calm poetic manner, reminiscent of the way Ophelia speaks of the flowers she has picked and collected. The drama stands or falls with Hadapada, that is to say, it stands. She holds it with a firm hand, as the saint in the old paintings bears the church. In her, the Iceland of ancient and modern times meets. She has more warmth, more kindness of heart, more womanly affection, than any antique figure from a saga. She gives herself completely, resignedly. She is tender, and she is mild, without being meek. In her inmost self, however, she is proud. When first this pride is touched, then hurt, and finally the very woman in her is mortally wounded, it is at once perceptible that she descends from the strong, wild women of olden times. The wildness has become resolution, the pride has become poise, the strength has remained unchanged. She plays with life and death like the heroes of a thousand years ago. She faces death without flinching, and despite all her goodness, her delicacy, her kindly love for the old and the young, for the humble and the poor, for animals and plants, at the bottom of her nature she is heathen. In life's last moments, with death and revenge in mind, she can still pretend, invent dupe. Such profound and exquisite womanhood, such inflexible masculine will, have hardly ever been seen combined on the stage before. George Brandis Introduction Iceland has always been famous for the quality of her literature, although nowadays but little of it comes to our shores. It is, therefore, an especial pleasure to introduce the author of Hadapada, Godmunder Kamban, son of a merchant of an old and well-known Icelandic family, was born near Reykjavik, the capital of Iceland, on June 8, 1888. He was graduated 22 years later from the College of Reykjavik, where he received honoris causa in literature and language, the first and only time this prize has ever been awarded. While still at college, he was made assistant editor of the best-known newspaper in Iceland, edited by Bjorn Johnson, the late Prime Minister, in whose home Mr. Kamban lived during his college career. In 1910, he proceeded to the University of Copenhagen, where he specialized in literature and received his master's degree. In Copenhagen, Peter Jerndorf, the famous actor royal, practically regarded him as his own son. Under Jerndorf's direction for five years, he obtained that thorough dramatic education which is so essential to the fastidious Scandinavian theater and to which Ibsen also served an apprenticeship. Hadapada.
Mr. Kamen's first dramatic work was written in Denmark in 1912, while he was still a student at the University of Copenhagen. Originally written in Icelandic, it was translated into Danish and submitted to the Royal Theatre, a fortress difficult of access to the newcomer. This theatre did not even fully recognize such masters as Ibsen and Bjornsson until they stood on the heights of achievement. Our author was but twenty-four years old, unknown, and offering his first play. From the outset, Hada Pada caused the director's unexpected trouble. It took them four times as long as usual to come to a decision. They finally accepted it, on account of its literary merit, but without any obligation on their part to produce it, as the scenery of the last act was of such daring and dangerous character. There was but one thing to do and Mr. Camban did it. His play was published by Jodendal, the most distinguished of the Scandinavian publishers. He sent a copy to George Brandis, as do thousands of authors from all parts of the world. Next evening he received a letter from the great critic, telling him that he had read the play, and asking Mr. Camban to call on him at his home. A few days later, when he spent four hours with Brandis at an after-table, the latter told him that he received on an average twelve volumes a day from different authors of every nationality, and were he to do nothing else, he could not read even one-twelfth of them. But I am going to write an article about your play, he concluded. Thus was Mr. Camben's place as an artist assured. In spite of the unanimous recognition the play received from the press, the theater still refused to produce it, as nearly all the authorities agreed that it would be hardly possible to stage. Finally, the new chief of the theater, Count F. Brockenhuschak, determined to carry the matter through. The author then undertook to stage the play, design the scenes, and arrange the mise en scene to the minutest detail. On November 14, 1914, the first performance took place. He sat in the latticed author's box. The first three acts went smoothly, interrupted at times by applause. The fourth act, the one talked about and difficult, was still to come. The fate of the play depended on this act. The curtain rose, and with the slowness of life the act proceeded. The silence of the audience was uncanny. Toward the end, the foremost theatrical critic of the city rose to his feet and raised his hand as if in horror. The curtain fell. Not a hand stirred. A whole minute elapsed and Mr. Camban left the box, refusing to himself to admit the failure. Then suddenly a wild enthusiasm broke loose and lasted several minutes. According to the regulations, unique in Europe, of the Royal Theatre, the curtain may not be raised for any author or actor except at a jubilee. The public, however, refused to leave the theatre till the manager had escorted Mr. Camban to the dais in front of the curtain, and there he expressed his thanks to the audience. After four months in Copenhagen, Hada Pada toured the Scandinavian countries, and preparations were being made for its production in Germany, when the war broke out and the German theatres were indefinitely closed to foreign dramatists. That is why, two years ago, he came to America. K. Characters. There is an interval of a year between Acts I and II, of a week between Acts II and III. One night elapses between Acts III and IV. Place, Iceland. Time present. Hadapada. Act I. A luxuriously furnished drawing room in the house of the town judge. On the right, in front, a door. In the middle rear an open door draped with rich, heavy, deep red curtains. On the left a large window. 
In the corner, between the window and the door, a grand piano, behind which stands a palm, the leaves spreading over the piano. In front, on the left, a divan. Alongside of it is a pedestal with a black terracotta statue on it. Hada Pada and Christian are sitting toward the front, in large deep armchairs, throwing a crystal ball to each other. Nearby is a small table, covered with a piece of velvet, on which the ball had lain. Hada Pada is very sunburnt. Ranveig enters from behind. She is knitting, keeping the ball of yarn under her arm. She is dressed in an Icelandic costume. Take care. Don't drop the ball. Drops a stitch, takes it up again, smiles. Who knows, maybe it is your life egg, children. Christian. Life egg. Is that a fairy tale? Ranveig. Haven't you ever heard it? Come, let me tell you about it. Takes a chair and sits down beside them. Once upon a time there lived two giantesses who were sisters. One day, they lured a young prince to them. They let the prince sleep under a coverlet woven of gold, while they themselves slept under one woven of silver. When at last the prince pledged himself in marriage to one of them, he made them tell him how they spent the day in the forest. They went hunting deer and birds, and when they rested, they sat down under an oak and threw their life egg to each other. If they broke it they both would die. The next day, the prince went to the forest and saw the sisters sitting there, under the oak. One of them was holding a golden egg in her hand, and just as she tossed it into the air, he hurled his spear. It hit the egg and broke it. The giantesses fell down, dead. Christian. Brave giantesses who dared to treat your sacred possessions so heedlessly. Ranveig. One does not hear the footstep of vengeance. It came to them unexpectedly. Christian. How I wish my whole fate were held in this ball. Ranveig. What would you do if it were? Christian. I would lay it gently in the hand of the man I loved, saying, Take it to a safe place, and I would shut my eyes, while he were searching for the place. Ranveig. If my sister were here, perhaps she could read your fate in the ball, both the past and the future. Who knows? But the whole universe may be mirrored in this one glass globe. Christian. That's your favorite superstition. Smiling surreptitiously. Tell me, Vega, haven't you a life egg? Turns abruptly from her, throwing the ball to Hada. Ranveig evasively. I had one once. Christian, catching the ball. Then you haven't it any more? Ranveig. No. Christian. And you are still alive? Ranveig. He who lived once in happiness dies twice. Sees the sisters throw the ball faster and faster. Don't throw the ball so carelessly. Christian. Be calm. The prince won't come. And even if he came, do you think we have the same life egg, I and Hrafnhild? Ranveig. Now stop making fun of me. The ball may hit you in the face. There now, that's enough. You nearly dazed my hada. It is strange to like to do this. Picks up the ball and puts it back on the velvet. Christian. Tell me, Vega, perhaps your life egg was a young man's heart. Ranveig. We won't talk about it anymore. Christian. And how did it break? Ranveig enraged. At least I didn't play with it. I never played with anybody else's feelings. Christian. There, there, don't snarl so. You're simply barking. Bow wow. Ranveig furious. How many have you made fools of already? 
Christian. Let me see. Counts on her fingers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Throws off one shoe and counts on her toes. Eleven, twelve, thirteen. Ah, here's a hole in my stocking. Thirteen. Thirteen, Vega dear. The unlucky number. Wonderful. I'll never throw him over. Ranveig. You're horribly flippant, Christian. Christian sits down at the small table, shades her face as she looks into the ball. Fancy, Vega, I see your whole fate in the ball. Ranveig. Leave the crystal alone, it won't hurt you. Christian. As sure as I live, I can see the most trivial events in your life. I see you by day, in this room here, when your nose begins to itch, and you steal into the kitchen to take a pinch of snuff. I see. Looks up. Ranveig has come up to her, and is about to strike her. Christian, slipping away from her. Look out, the snuff is dripping from your nose. Runs out, Ranveig shuts the door behind her, and turns around. She passes her finger under her nose. Looks at it, shakes her head. Hada pada. You and Runa don't seem to get on any better since I've been away. Ranveig. We have never gotten along together. I don't understand the young people nowadays. They are merely butterflies, all of them. Hada pada. You once told me, dear, that sometime in everyone's life there comes a wishing hour. Maybe Runa had hers when she wished for the joy of living. Ranveig. It's a strange joy, then, to want to make other people miserable. To use the beauty God has given her, against those who cannot resist it. Why do you suppose the new engineer has stopped coming here since the son of the chief justice returned from Copenhagen, and he seemed like such a sweet boy, too? It is not the first or the second time she has changed her mind. Hadapada. When a true and deep love comes to her, she will not change her mind. Ranveig. It's no use to stand up for her. She wheedles them all. Hadapada. But still you told me, dear, that you would be fonder of me if I did not marry. Ranveig. How can you say that, Hada, dear? I said that marriage doesn't always bring happiness. Hadapada. I know. You told me that only to console me, because I am now twenty-six years old. Runa is nineteen, prettier than most girls, and a wild little imp surrounded by young men all the time. And they play upon her vanity only to make her cruel. Stands up. Ranveig. At her age you were prettier, and are still, but you were not like that. No, she hasn't your character. Christian enters from behind. The prince is coming. Ranveig gathers her knitting, and drops the yarn. Christian jumps at it like a cat, and catches it. Now I'll dance for you, Vega dear. She whirls around her, singing, yarn in hand, twisting the thread around the old woman. They listen for footsteps. Ranveig slips out, on the right, entangled in the yarn, Christian following. Ingolf enters. Like Hada, he is sunburnt. Hada Pada. How do you do? You promised to be here earlier, dear. Kisses him. Ingolf. What time is it? About to take out his watch. Hada Pada. Catching his hands? I don't know. But I felt the moment slipping by, when you should have been here. Ingolf kisses her again. Hada pada. While I was sitting there, in the armchair, waiting for you, I closed my eyes, and do you know what I saw? Ingolf. No.
Hada Pada, pointing to the crystal. I saw the crystal ball through my eyelashes. Ingolf, smiling. Then you did not close your eyes. Hada Pada. No, I cheated. They laugh. And then I began to throw the crystal ball to Runa. Do you know why? Ingolf. No. Hada Pada. So as to lure back an old recollection. Do you remember? It was your last winter at the Latin school. One day you came home, and we two were alone in the room here. You took the ball, threw it to me, and called, wishing. I caught it, and said stone. And so we continued to play, till you called Hada. I didn't quite follow your trick at first, but caught the word Pada. Then you laughed and said, from now on, you shall never be called anything but Hada Pada. Do you remember? Ingolf. I do. Hada Pada. Everybody calls me that now, except my nurse. Randay, peeping into the curtain. Don't let me hear that name. H.F. Pada. That's an insect. Disappears. Hada Pada walks gently forth, and rolls the door back. Then I asked you what christening gift I was to have. You gave me your first kiss. Ingolf sits down on the divan, takes Hada on his knee. Hada Pada. You don't know how I love that name. You don't know how many times I have wrapped you in it, as in some fantastic mantle. After you had left Copenhagen last spring, and I sat reading all the livelong day, until at last I went to bed, my lips did not close on your name, till my eyes had closed on your picture. Hada Pada. You must never call me anything but that. Each time you say it, it brings back the joy of your first kiss. Ingolf. Were you really in love with me then? Hada Pada. You don't know? Then I did succeed in hiding it? Ingolf. Why did you hide it, Hada? Why, I almost believed you bore me a grudge. You seemed to hold more aloof each day. Hada Pada. And even that did not betray me? Ingolf. Why did you hide it, Hada? Footsteps are heard outside. Hada Pada kisses Ingolf hastily, gets up, and seats herself at his side, takes his hand. Don't you understand, dear? I was afraid of knowing the certainty. The stronger my love grew, the more carefully I had to hide it. I dared not risk those beautiful dream children of uncertainty for a disguised certainty. Whenever we talked together, and you looked up at me, I was startled. I thought you understood, and your hurried glance reached me only after the fear of seeing the answer in it. Ingolf. You, the most sincere of women, could cherish so strong a love and seem so cold. Hada Pada. Now I have made too great a virtue of my love. Some of my reserve was pride. Just think, you lived with us during your entire school time, and in the summer sister and I were by turns at your home. We grew up, you, handsome and manly, and a lord of pleasures, and you always seemed to be careful not to pay me greater attention than the other girls, especially at parties. That was why I drew back. I was eighteen, you were twenty, you were graduated and went abroad. And poor, proud little Hadapada was left alone. Ingolf. Per proud little Hadapada. They laugh. Hadapada. Then when you came back the next spring, it was Christian's turn to go to the country. And since then, you have not been home during the summer. Ingolf. And when you went to Copenhagen the following winter, it just happened to be the only year I stayed home. Hadapada. 
then I thought it surely was the will of fate to separate us. But I loved you even more. I could not give up hope. Not even when you wrote home, the year before last, that you had decided to live abroad. I got that news on the shortest day of the year. I watched the twilight darken into night until the very blackness swam before my eyes in blood-red spots. It was then I made up my mind to go. Ingolf. Yes, you came in the autumn. Had a pada. And it was not before December, at a meeting of the Icelandic Society, we sat alone, in an outer room. Then I placed my fate in your hand. Ingolf. Then you placed your hand in mine. Had a pada. Then I placed my life in your hand. I willed all my power into my hand and placed it in yours. That instant, nothing but my hand lived. Had you thrust it away, I would not now be living. Ingolf. How silently happiness steals upon us. We sat alone in the room, far from the din of the dance. Then it came. I heard its tread in the quiver of your breath. Then I felt it in my hand. Had a pada. And yet you sat there immovable, and made the very seconds fight for my life. When I held your hand, I was afraid lest a single finger tremble, till you closed your hand around my wrist, and drew me to you. She leans toward him. Ingolf. Do you know what attracted me most to you? Had a pada. You don't know yourself. Ingolf. Why not? Had a pada. Because you love me. Ingolf. But I think I know now. Had a pada. Well, what is it? Ingolf. The thing that kept us apart so long. Had a pada. And that is? Ingolf. Your reticence. That awaiting attitude you just called pride. I have known other women. They came to me without first listening to my heart, but you did not. Had a pada. I looked into your eyes. I saw the flame in them increase, the longer they gazed at me. Ingolf. The human heart is like the mountains. They give no echo if we get too near. Had a pada. Let's herself slide down at Ingolf's knees, so that he sits bending over her. Let me look at you for a long time. Dot, how long your eyelashes are. Each time you blink, it is as though invisible petals were sprinkled upon me. Indolf, closing her hands in his. Now you have no hands. Shall I give them to you again? Let's go, but looks at her one hand lying in his. Your nails have a tinge like that of ice and sunshine. Had a pada, withdraws her hand laughing and gets up. I am just thinking. Ingolf. What are you thinking? Hadapada walks a few steps and stops behind him. I was lying down outside in the garden today. I could not keep awake. I dreamed I stood outside the cathedral. It was dark inside, but all along the church floor, on either side, was a straight row of unlit candles. I remember all the white soft wicks, peeping half out, waiting for light. Then a sudden gust of wind swept through the whole church, and as it grazed the wicks, all the candles were lighted. Ingolf, keep silent. Hadapada. What do you think the dream means? I think it means happiness. Ingolf. You must not deprive your dream of its beauty by interpreting it. Hadapada. Happiness comes to us like a beautiful dream that we don't dare to interpret. Ingolf. You have promised to trust me as much as you love me. Hadapada. I see the future mirrored in those days we lived together. Ingolf. I love you, Hadapada. 
Hadapada. Your words are the light, your caresses are the warmth. Give me both, engulf. Kiss me. Engulf kisses her. Hadapada. And I should not trust you? Has not a sacred hour welded our hearts together? And have you not placed your life in my hands? Do you remember last summer, when I visited your home, how you lowered me with a rope down the Angelica Gorge? I have not often lived so exquisite an hour. Then I became quite foolhardy. When I came up again, I asked you to go down and let me hold the rope for you. Engulf. I hardly believed you were as strong as you are. Hadapada. If you had not had courage to go down by my hands, I am not quite sure that I could be so fond of you. I shall never forget that moment. I saw you come up again with an angelica crown on your head. I saw you rise up like a green-crowned sea god from the deep dot. Engulf. I can't bear the thought that I shall leave you in a few days. Hadapada smiles. Engulf. You smile? Hadapada. I am thinking of something. Shall I tell you? Little Scully comes rushing in from the right. Hadapada. Have you seen? Ah, Engulf, are you here? Runs straight up to Engulf, catching hold of both his hands. Why did you leave home so soon, Engulf? Engulf. Because I wanted to go to Copenhagen. Hadapada. Scully dear, will you be a good boy and make me a ship? Little Scully. Oh no, not now. Hadapada. Oh yes, your last ship was so well cut out, with great big masts. Pats him, you're a dear. Engulf. Then you'll be allowed to come along with us to the country next summer. Hadapada. And sit in front, on the sheriff's horse, many, many times. Little Scully. Then will the sheriff give me a sheep again? Engulf. Yes, my little friend, father will give you a sheep, and I will give you one too. I'll give you one with pretty rounded horns. Little Scully. Does it but? Engulf. Oh, of course not, it eats bread from your hand. Little Scully. Then I'll saw its horns off, and give them to Siga. She has lots of horns she plays sheep with. Laughter. Engulf. Well, are you going to make that ship? Little Scully. Are you the one who gets all Hadapata's ships? Engulf. Well, I dare say I get most of them, Dot. What makes you think so? Little Scully. Because whenever she is with you, she always wants me to make ships. Engulf and had a look at each other and laugh. Engulf. Yes, she knows I am very fond of your ships. Little Scully. Then I'll make ships for you often. Runs out, Engulf and Hadda still laughing. Engulf. What was it you were going to tell me before? Hadapada. Something that. Engulf. That. Hadapada. That. Engulf. Are you teasing me? Ranveig enters from the back, knitting, sits down. What a lovely day it is. Hadapada. Vega, dear, you promised to darn my lilac stockings for me. I haven't any to wear tomorrow. Ranveig, considering. How about the yellow ones? Hadapada. Oh, Runa must have taken them. I couldn't find them. Ranveig gets up. Well, I can't let you go barefooted. Goes out. Engulf. You are shrewd, Hadapada. Now tell it to me. Hadapada. First, kiss me. Engulf kisses her. Hadapada. Do you think you will miss me very much when you are gone? Engulf.
How can you ask? Ranveig enters from the back, with the stockings in her hand. I knew as much. I was right dot, sees them embracing. I might have saved myself the trouble of looking for the stockings. Turns round and goes out. Hada pada. Ingolf. Ingolf. Yes. Hada pada. Now listen. The judge enters from the back. Ingolf looks impatiently at his watch and walks toward the door on the right. The judge. Are you going out, Ingolf? Ingolf. I'm just going up to my room. I have a letter to answer. Goes out. The judge. Well, my dear, tomorrow is the great day. Hada pada. How good you are, father, to make me feel your gladness as you do. The judge takes her to his side and sits down with her. You happy child. I can't believe that you are grown up. It is as if I were beginning to realize it now, for the first time. But still, I shall have you one year more. Hada pada. Father. The judge. Yes, dear. Hada pada. Father. The judge. What is the matter, dear? Hada pada. There is something I want to ask you. The judge. And that is? Hada pada. I want to ask you. Stops abruptly. Lady Anna enters from the back. The judge to Hada. What did you want to ask me? Smiles to his wife. Something mother may not hear. Hada pada. No, something I have to ask both of you. The judge. Let us hear it then. Hada pada. It is a very great favor, but you must not say no. The judge. Ask it. Lady Anna. Well, what is it? She has taken some work from the basket and sits down to sew. Hada pada. I want you to let me go to Copenhagen again. I want to go with Ingolf. The judge. Now? Hada pada. Yes, now, Tuesday. Lady Anna? You are not in earnest, Raffenhild. You know, Christian is going to leave for England next month. Your brother has written for her. And she hasn't been abroad yet, while you have been twice. Hada pada. Nor do I want her to abandon her plan. Lady Anna? But do you want me to do without both of you at the same time? Hada pada. Would that be hard for you, mother? Lady Anna? Hard. It would be impossible. With all the parties we have, I must have one of you at home. The judge. Of course, it would be difficult for mother to manage without your assistance, since Christian is going away. Lady Anna? I never thought of that, Raffenhild. Besides, I think it in good taste, since your engagement will be announced tomorrow before Ingolf leaves, for you to remain at home this year till he has passed his examination and comes back. Hada pada. Yes, that would be in very good taste, if I could only bear it. Lady Anna? You must also remember that you would disturb him in his studies, if you were with him this winter. Just when he wants to concentrate on his work. Hada pada. I want to make his work easier. That's just what I want to do. Lady Anna? I can't do without you, Hada. The judge pats his wife on the cheek. If our dear little Hada pada were sick, we would have to get one girl more in the house. And then, if she had to go away for a year to recover, and we were waiting for her to come back strong and healthy, don't you think we would readily allow her to go? Hada pada throws her arms around his neck. Father, I was sure that you...
Lady Anna? That would be quite another thing. The judge. Then you would realize that you could do without her. Lady Anna? But you don't mean that anyone else can fill her place. Hada Pada. Mother, you think so much of Helda. I have talked to her, and she is willing to help you. The judge. There you are. Can you imagine anyone better? Lady Anna? It is not only that. If they were married, it would be quite proper for them to go abroad together. Hada Pada looks angrily at her mother, but says nothing. The judge discovers it, walks up to his wife, and lays his arm on her shoulder. We have not grown so old as you would have us. Heartily. Perhaps, then, it is not proper for an old venerable judge to be as much in love with his silver-haired wife as when they were engaged. But he can help it, and that's just the reason he still understands love in young people. Tehada, ask your mother once more to let you go. Maybe she will when she knows you have my consent. Lady Anna? Well, I see what this is leading to. You know I don't usually oppose you. Hada Pada. Father, you're always so good to me. Kisses him. The judge, in a whisper to Hada. Now kiss your mother too. Hada Pada. Nice mother. I will be twice as much pleasure to you when I come back. Kisses her. Little Scully enters. Hada Pada, do you want the ship to have two or three masts? Hada Pada. Now let me see, my boy. Goes out with him. The judge. Tomorrow, that will be a happy day. At last I shall see my fondest wish fulfilled, mine and my dear old friends, that our children should belong to each other. I never suspected this would happen when Hrafnhild went abroad last year. Lady Anna? And now she is to go with him again. She has much to thank her father for. The judge. I think time has kept them apart long enough. I had a long talk with Helga the other day. They are very good friends, you know, and she was in Copenhagen at the same time as Hatta last year. She told me that Ingolf had quite given up his studies, and it was Hatta Pada who made him take them up again. From Christmas on, last year, he studied from morning to night, and now he will pass his examination and begin here as an attorney. Then they will probably marry next autumn. Lady Anna nods. He must be kind to Hrafnhild. She is more than just fond of him. Have you noticed that she is beginning to resemble him? The judge. Now, in spite of everything, I think we are beginning to grow old. Our sight is failing us. Lady Anna? Not my sight. Listen to me. You should have seen her with the flowers this summer while she was home. When she watered them, she talked with them as if they could understand her. It was as if she returned every rise of fragrance with a smile. And the flowers thrived and blossomed as if they absorbed her tenderness. The judge. I have noticed something else lately, that every time she comes into a room it is as though the air were filled with the beauty of peace. I could have myself blindfolded, and all Rikavik could walk through the room on sols of velvet. When she entered I could recognize her by the delightful calm that accompanies her. Lady Anna? This excessive love, it is worrying me. Maybe it was mostly on that account that I delayed agreeing to her departure. The judge. There are so many things that worry you. Why doesn't Ingolf come back? Kisses her on the cheek. I will talk to him about it. Goes out. Ranveig enters. The servants want to know how many places to lay for dinner. Lady Anna. 
putting aside her needlework. Well, I'm coming, doze out. Ranvig walks slowly to the center of the room, stands looking at the terracotta statue. When you dream something, you don't want to come true, you ought to tell it to someone, better to a stone than to no one. Hands folded, she walks slowly up to the statue, whispering in its ear, I dreamed of a beautiful and marvelous diamond palace. I walked around it, but it had no doors. No one could get in. If anyone were inside, he could not get out. I heard weeping inside the palace. It seemed to tear my heart. I recognized the weeping. She passes her hand over her eyes, looks at the statue a long time, walks away from it, looks back at it once more, and goes out. In the doorway she encounters Hatta, looks at her, pats her cheek, and disappears. Hatta Pata enters with a water jug in her hand, walks up to a flower in the window. Ingolf enters and steals up to her. Ingolf, now I know the secret. You are going with me to Copenhagen. Hada pada, hada pada, I love you. Let me sing to you. He takes both her hands and while he sings, wild with joy, she hums the tune. He lifts her in his arms. The sun is shining through the window and lights up the room. Hada pada stretches her arms toward the light. It is as though I had wings. Turns round in his arms and folds him in her embrace. I will fly to my happiness. Act 2. The following summer. A drawing room in the sheriff's house. The furniture old-fashioned and elaborate. On the left, a door leading to the dining room. Against the wall, in front, a piano. On the right, under a window, a chaise longue. In the back, an open window, through which can be seen green meadows, rising to a plateau, over the edge of which roars a waterfall. At the horizon, deep blue mountains. Bright sunshine, a hot summer's day. In the middle of the room, around a table, set for coffee, the sheriff and Lady Margaret, Olaf and Steinder, Ingolf, Hrafnhild and Christian are sitting. The children, Little Scully, Siga, Daddy and Maga are seated at a small table near the window. Olaf, to the children. You may go out now, children. The children rise. Siga, to Olaf. Mother, when may we go berry picking with Hadapada? Hadapada smiles at the children. We'll go next Sunday. Olaf. Now go out and play. It's such lovely weather. Steinder. And you may build your little playhouse, but not in the part that isn't mowed. Scully. Come along, children. Dotty. Come along. The children go out. Hadapada. I had a letter from my friend Helga today. She writes she is coming to see me for the weekend. The sheriff. We expect quite a few people over the weekend. I had a letter from Arnie, the tourist guide, who says he'll be here with six tourists next Sunday. Steinder. How are we going to accommodate all these people? Lady Margaret. Yes, it is true. Every summer we have more and more guests. But what difference does it make? The rooms of Bredeball are still large enough. Olaf to Steinder. You can room with Ingolf for the present. To Hatta, and I'll move in with you. Then we'll have an extra room. The sheriff. My, but will you really be here three weeks tomorrow? It's so good to have both sisters at the same time. You haven't been here together since you were tiny little tots, just so high. Christian. I would have been here last year, if I hadn't been sick. The sheriff.
Well, let's not lose any more time. Gets up, Steiner. We are behind in our work. They go out. Then all get up. Ingolf goes over to the armchair near the window and sits down. Lady Margaret, going out. Will you clear the table, Alia dear? Hada Pada assists Olof. Shall we all go for a walk now? It's a glorious day. Olaf, taking the coffee things into the dining room. Yes, I just have some time to spare. Christian. I'm not going out again. I've just come in. Hada Pada, taking Ingolf's hand. You look so tired today. Shall we go? Ingolf. It's cooler indoors. Hada Pada, in the same tone, as if she had not addressed Ingolf. Olaf, shall we go? Olaf. Yes, Hada dear. Takes her arm, they go. Ingolf leans back in the armchair and closes his eyes. Christian jumps on top of the chaise longue, swings her arms crying. Ingolf. Ride me pick a back. Right now. Ingolf looks at her, smiling, casts a glance at the door and through the window, as he approaches the chaise longue. Christian sits gracefully down on his shoulder. Her dress is drawn rather tightly, so that one of her legs shows. He takes hold of her leg to support her, and starts walking around the table. Christian raises her head and looks into his eyes. Will you be a good boy and take hold above the dress? Let's go, and raises herself. You silly boy, do you think you may hold me by my leg? Ingolf. Well, I don't want to hold you by your leg. Christian grasps him around the shoulder. You silly boy. Do you think you can lower your shoulder? I'm falling, I'm falling, hold on to my leg. Ingolf walks on. They hear footsteps. Christian, about to spring down. Somebody's coming. Oh, it's only the children. Dottie and Scully appear in the doorway. Dottie. Isn't father here? The boys begin to laugh. Christian clicks with her tongue. There, now my horse must run. Now run, my colt. Strokes his hair. If he is spirited, I'll call him Goldmane. G-yap. G-yap. He doesn't want to be called Goldmane? Scully, hand me my whip, in the corner there, right by the sideboard. Points into the dining room. Little Scully. To beat Ingolf. No, indeed. Christian. Dottie, dear, you do it. Dottie runs for the whip, and gives it to her. She swings the whip around, so that it whizzes in the air. As Ingolf passes the piano, she runs the knob of the whip along the keyboard. Little Scully. Let's go, Dottie. They go out. Christian. Are you tired? Ingolf. I seem to feel lighter, in holding you on my shoulder. Christian. H.F. Lighter? Ingolf. Yes, certainly. Christian. H.F. In carrying me? Ingolf. In feeling the weight of your body. In that way, I could bear you to the end of the world. Christian hops down, looks straight into his eyes. Really now, I refuse to listen to such foolishness. Only look kindly at me once, instead of bearing me to the end of the world. Sits down. Ingolf. Kindly, Christian, do I deserve the cruelty you have shown me these last days? Every moment of the day you have felt my soul streaming out to you, yet you choose the most common terms to describe my feelings, and pretend not to recognize them. I have been inventing new pet names for you all the time, so that no one should have as pretty a name as you, 
so that you should have a prettier name today than you had yesterday. You pretend not to hear them. I have shown you every tenderness, but by your pretense you keep it at sword's length from you. You have been torturing me in this way now for three days. Look kindly at you. Why, every time I look at you, you see my eyes shine through a tear-filled dimness. Christian, have you seen it in the glass? Ingolf, keeps silent for a while, bites his lips, turns away from her. Some women should not be allowed to be pretty. Christian laughs, dangling her foot. Quite right. But men in turn ought to be obliged to be handsome, otherwise they are disgusting. Ingolf. Christian. Is it quite impossible to talk seriously with you? Is there nothing so sacred to you that you wouldn't ridicule it? Christian. Well? Ingolf. No, I suppose there is not. Christian. Perhaps more than you think. Ingolf. Why do you let me suffer then? Haven't I confessed my love to you? Christian. No, you haven't. Ingolf sits down at her side. While he speaks she sits erect in the chair, her hands folded in her lap, her head raised. A bright smile plays on her half-open lips. It is as if she were listening to a beautiful tale. Are you waiting for me to say just the words, I love you? Weren't there moments when I made a greater confession, when one sigh, one glance, told you more than these words? But you are not satisfied with hearing a love like the fluttering of wings in the dead of night. You want to hear it sound like a clarion call in your ears. I love you. I love you. Today I saw you standing at the piano. There, each feature in your face was in repose. Each move blended softly into fine lines. I saw you as one of those works of art of an ancient master, which could lure the infidel to believe in the resurrection of the body. What was my surprise when I saw you move and walk across the floor? Even your dress, altering its folds with the rhythm of your step, becomes mysterious, like the sea, floating, as it were, with life itself. Only that fleeting sparkle from your eyes as you roll them upward, or when you are lying down, and you stretch your foot out, so supple, that the tension on your arch makes your instep seem higher, and then your everlasting vivacity. When you laugh, the air seems to float with tiny fairies. I love you, Christian, only you, you, you. Christian still gazes into space, dreamily. Ingolf reaches hesitatingly for her hand. Discreetly, she withdraws it. Ingolf gets up. Did you lie to me, Christian? The other night, when I told you, without speaking, for the first time, just as plainly as now with words, that I loved you, we heard footsteps, you ran away, you turned around and kissed me, and disappeared. Did this sweet kiss then lie? Was it only a moment's impulse that played with a sacred feeling? Christian. It was not, Ingolf. Ingolf. But? Christian. It was a moment's impulse that played with a moment's impulse. Ingolf. Perhaps for you, but not for me. Christian. I thought your silent confession that evening was sincere. The next day, I overheard a conversation between you and Hrafmhild. You didn't know I was there. Perhaps she has noticed the change in you. She used her voice, her intelligence, her beauty, her whole appeal to get your caresses. And she got them, many and warm. Ingolf. You yourself say that I have changed. You yourself say that I love you. Christian. I myself say that you must choose between us. Ingolf. My heart has chosen, Christian. And now my hand chooses. 
He slowly takes the ring off his finger. Are you satisfied now? Christian. Why do you ask so sadly? Do you do this half-heartedly? I don't know whether I can trust you. Only yesterday, when she called you away from me, my heart throbbed with joy. The air about me sang, It is you he loves. But after a while, when she came out, she passed me with a look of supremacy in her eyes. I saw it, I saw it. You are completely in her power. Ingolf. Before the sun sets tonight, you will have to take back those words. Christian. I fear the strength of her words when she pleads her own cause. It is as though she could charm you into her power by some magic. Do you know what she did yesterday? She came up to me afterwards and tried to arouse my anger, and so sure was she of her victory that she gloried in it. She said that I could flirt with anyone I wanted. She held the love of the finest man in Iceland. Ingolf. Now do you think she said it because she was so sure? Christian does not answer. She held the love of the finest man in Iceland. Do you love me, Ingolf? Ingolf. You don't need to ask, Christian. Christian. Do you love me? Ingolf. I love you. Christian runs to the chaise long and throws herself upon it. She sobs audibly. Ingolf. What is the matter with you, Christian? Christian. Why don't you take me in your arms? Ingolf. Now I am. Do you still doubt? I lived behind a dark, dark wall. Through a crack in the wall a streak of light came in. I loved this streak. Then one day the wall tumbled down, and I bathed in a white sea of sunshine. Now I see that I only cared for Hrafnhild because of the natural likeness between you. Christian. Do you think I would ever have let you suspect that I cared for you, if I did not know that you had stopped loving Hrafnhild? I began to care for you a long time ago. Ingolf. When I saw how happy Hrafnhild was, it seemed to dawn upon me how splendid you are. Everyone envied her. You can imagine how I tried to crush my love. But it grew stronger each day, it grew like a thorn into my heart. Yet that did not matter. As long as I knew you loved Hrafnhild, I felt a greater obligation to my sister than to my love. But not any longer. Even were I to sacrifice all now, what would she gain? since you don't care for her? Ingolf. I'll try to break off our engagement as gently as possible. Christian. You promise to do it, before the sun sets tonight. Ingolf. Surely, when I tell her I don't love her, she won't try to hold me any longer. Christian looks at him suspiciously. In order to evade her glance, he bends over and takes her in his arms. Ingolf. I will raise you, slowly and carefully like a cup brimful of intoxicating wine. Kisses her a long time. Raises her up. They hear footsteps outside, and listen. Ingolf. It is Hrafnhild. Loosens his embrace. Christian throws her arms around his neck, and clings to him. Why don't you want her to see? Ingolf, trying to free himself. You are not so heartless, Christian. Hadapada opens the door. In her hand, she has a bouquet of violets, freshly gathered. A subdued smile lights up her face. As soon as she looks in, her features become distorted with horror. She takes half a step backwards, holding her hand before her eyes, as if to ward off a blow. A feeble cry, filled with pain, as if torn by force from the throat is expressed in the word no. Christian.
It is I you love. It is I you love. Ingolf tears himself away. Let me talk to Hrafnhild alone. Hadapada stands motionless in the doorway, so that Christian has to pass her. Ingolf. May I close the door and talk to you? Hadapada moves within the door frame and leans against it. Ingolf. Hada, you have seen now that I am no longer worthy of your love. Hadapada. I have seen nothing. Throws the bouquet on the table and sits down on the chaise longue, with her face turned toward the window. Ingolf. Don't say that, Hrafnhild. Even forgiveness demands return, and I cannot return yours. Hadapada, her whole frame trembling. Ingolf. I didn't think you could mistake my attitude these last few days. Both keep silent. Ingolf. But now, Dash? From today on, you must try to forget me. Hadapada gets up. Forget? Why should I forget my lover? Ingolf. Because he cannot be your lover any longer. Hadapada. Yes, he can. He promised. He promised to love me all my life. Ingolf. He did not know what he promised. Hadapada sees Ingolf's hand without the ring, grasps it with horror, whispers. What have you done, Ingolf? It cannot be true. It is not she you love. I saw you push her from you when she clung about your neck. Say she told you a lie when she cried. Only say something. Say that suddenly an earthquake came and she threw herself in your arms from fear. I'll believe you. Ingolf shakes his head. Hadapada. Ingolf, how could you be so hard? Hides her face. Any other, any other. But she. Weeps bitterly. Ingolf. It is not that, Hrafnhild. Now let us talk calmly. Even if you could, would you continue to be tied to a man who does not love you any longer? Hadapada. She has separated us. She has caught you in the net of her wantonness. You too, Ingolf, you too. When I looked at you, you could see my love in my eyes. But she, she looked at you through a veil of wantonness, so that your imagination might create what it liked behind it. Was that what attracted you? I gave you all that I had. She took back with the left hand what she had given with her right. Was that what attracted you? Ingolf, do you value such a character? Don't you know how she is? I know you think she loves you. So she has told them all. Her love is a remorseless beast of prey. She does not even spare her sister, though she knows you are the only man I ever loved. But she must have this triumph, this one too. Are you going to yield to it? Ingolf. You are mistaken, Hrafnhild. It is not she who parts us. I feel that even if she did not exist, I could no longer love you as before. Hadapada. Haven't I seen you in each other's arms? Had it been anyone else, Ingolf, anyone else, I might have tried to bear it. But she, in your arms, that thought I cannot endure. I have no enemy but her. The blood that flows in her veins deceives. It understands the secrets of kinship and knows what weapons can beat me. She was but a little girl when I saw the smile of the conqueror in her look, if she felt that young men who called on us paid her greater attentions than me. But it did not touch me. I was no rival. In my heart, there was only place for you. Don't you see what life would be for me, should she triumph now, too? Ingolf, keep silent. Hadapada kneels down, grasping his knee. Ingolf, 
for nine years have I run up the stairs at home, just as you did, on the day you went away, two steps at a time. Ingolf. Get up, Raffenhild. He moves a step nearer to the door. Hadda is dragged along on her knees. Hadda Pada strokes her hand over his knee. Ingolf, Ingolf. Ingolf takes a step back. Get up, Raffenhild. Hadda Pada. Ingolf, I laid bare my love to clothe yours. I did it, so that no one could take you from me. Do you remember when I gave you all a woman can give? The past closed behind me, and I was a different being. I took your head in both my hands. Now you must always be kind to me, I said. Always, you said. You are not kind to me now, Ingolf. Had you not stripped me of the only support which a woman must have to bear life alone, I might have been able to endure it. But you have awakened passions hidden in me, from the very depths of my nature. Whenever you were away, they cried out for you with voices like children. Ingolf. Stop, Raffenhild. I gave you my word, it is true. But since I no longer care for you, will you still hold me to an old promise that was made when I loved you? Hadapada gets up. Not an old one, Ingolf. You aren't telling the truth now. Pointing out of the window. Is it old, the water that flows down the river? Hasn't every day we have lived together been a renewal of this promise? Ingolf. Maybe, but one day the water stopped flowing. Hadapada. Now you have spoken the terrible truth. Your love was not rich enough, and you knew it from the first. You are not deceiving me today. You deceived me the day you made me believe that you loved me, but you were not strong enough to be sincere. You felt that the burning love of a devoted woman would give you a new spirit. That is why you betrayed me. Sinks bending over the table, bursting into tears. Ingolf. You accuse yourself with these angry words. Why did you accept this insincerity for so long? Hadapada. Because I saw it too late. My soul was spirited up into the mountain, so that no disappointment could take me from you. But so it was. Often when you were satiated with pleasure, you failed to show me any regard. What could I do? Nothing but continue to believe that I would keep your love alive by the strength of my own. I know now why you didn't dare to meet my look openly. Engulf, you knew from the beginning that you might meet a woman you could love more, but meanwhile you took me, intending to turn from me when that time came. Weeps, if only I had never known you. Ingolf, I remember a great many times, you said that you didn't understand how rich life was before you knew me, and that whatever fate would be, you would never regret having given yourself to me. Now I know how sincerely you meant those words. Hadapada, you don't hear how cruel your words are dot. I know, Ingolf, I said it. I said it when I couldn't control my tongue for gladness. But we never know ourselves until we stand on the edge between joy and sorrow. And now, having touched happiness, I cannot live without grasping it. I cannot, Ingolf, I cannot live without you. Ingolf, could you get any happiness out of life with a man who does not love you? Hadapada, silent, gets up and walks up to the piano, leaning heavily against it. Ingolf takes out the ring and puts it on the table. Hadapada does not stir. Ingolf, this is my last request. Don't make our separation harder than necessary. I cannot remain in your home when they all know it. Do me the favor of wearing the ring till I leave for home. 
You won't have to wait long. Will you promise me that? Ingolf holds the ring in his hand without answering. Hada pada. This is my last request. Ingolf. I promise. Puts the ring on his hand. Hada pada watches him as he puts it on. Act 3. Slope of a valley overgrown with brush and heather and flowers. Toward the rear on the left, a beautiful cataract rushes down from a great height between steep cliffs. On the right, a rock shuts out the bottom of the falls and part of the river. In the background is a mountainous landscape. It is an exquisite summer evening and the sun is playing on the water in ever-changing colors. The stage is empty. From beneath the falls a song is heard, even before the rise of the curtain. A little before the song ends, Hada Pada enters from the left, accompanied by the children. She wears a light summer dress with a chiffon scarf thrown over her shoulders. The children have come prepared to gather berries. One has a wooden box, one a colored glass bottle half filled with berries, etc. They stop to listen until the song is finished. Maga. Who was singing? Hadapada. The summer guests down at the falls dot. Well, children, hurry now and gather your berries. We'll be going home soon. Pointing to the right. See that hollow? There must be lots of berries in there. Sits down on a stone. Siga. Aren't you coming along with us, Hadapada? Hadapada. No, you bring your berries back to me. Siga, turning the bottle over in her palm. Do you want some? Hadapada, staying her off. No, no, not now. Dotty. Oh, Hada. I'll gather the bluest berries for you. Little Scully. When I come back I'll bring you berries and flowers too. Maga. You won't wait for us, Hadapada. Hadapada, nodding assent, hand under cheek. No, no. All the children. Aren't you going to wait for us? Hadapada, with a start, recovering herself. Wait for you, yes, yes, of course. Do you think I would run away from you? I will wait here till you come back. The children go off to the right. Hada remains seated for a moment, rises absent-mindedly, walks to and fro thoughtfully, sometimes stumbling. Then she sits down again, hiding her face in her hands. An herborist enters from the right. On her shoulder she is carrying a canvas bag, half filled with herbs. She wears a knitted shawl and a party-colored kerchief on her head. In her hand she holds a large knife and a leather sheath. Good evening, young lady. Had a pata startled. Good evening, Arnjard. Herborist, putting the bag aside. I seem to recognize one of the sisters. It is you they call Hadapada. Hadapada. I came burying with the children. Herborist. I saw them down in the hollow dot. It is lucky to visit the falls tonight dot. I heard the song dot. What a beautiful day. Sits down. Just look at the evening glow on that rock. Smiles. Its furrows seem like ruddy smiling lips. Hadapada, looking up. Like bleeding wounds. Herborist. Is the young lady in low spirits? Hadapada, keep silent. Herborist, looking at the slope. What a host of blessed flowers. I'll soon get my bag filled here. There are some of the right kind among them, I'm sure. Hadapada. That is a pretty bag you have. Herborist. I thought it an insult to the flowers to put them in a coarse sack, so I took my pillowcase. Hadapada. Are there only flowers in it?
Herborist. They are healing plants. Hadapada. That's true. You heal with herbs. You believe in their power? Herborist. I believe in a fact that cannot be doubted. And I am quite sure that there is no disease that could not be healed by herbs, if people knew enough about their mysteries. Hadapada. There are wounds, I suppose, that only death can heal. Herborist, looking down into the bag, she takes out an herb. I think the young lady is very depressed. Shall I show her an herb that can heal many ills? Hadapada. A lady slipper? Herborist. It is also called the love flower. If you would gain a man's heart you slip it under his pillow. Hadapada. Don't you see the ring on my finger? Don't you know my sweetheart? Herborist. Yes, certainly dot. He was a handsome boy. Plays with the bag, as she hums. When love is the strongest, it leads to your fall, a maid's happy longest, who heeds no man's call. Hadapada, drawing her scarf more closely around her. Do you hear the flies buzzing? Herborist, looking deep down into the bag. Yes. Hadapada. It is like the sound of a burning wick. Herborist does not hear. Hadapada. Now there is only one left dot. It is buzzing around my bead. Putting her hand on the arm of the herborist. Say something to me, good healer. Herborist. Pretty are her hands. Were they chapped or sore I would heal them with yarrow ointment. Taking up a yarrow. Hadapada. Can that be done? Herborist. Oh yes, with finely cut yarrow, boiled in fresh new butter. Puts the plant aside, picks up a dandelion. Hadapada. What do you use the dandelion for? Herborist. If the young lady had warts on her hands, I would rub them with the milk of the dandelion, and the warts would vanish. Takes up a new plant. Hadapada. What do you call this flower? Herborist. Doesn't she know the sundew? It is a cure for freckles. Hadapada, taking the flower. Ah. I know this dot. You cruel pretty little flower. With your beauty you lure the insects to you. Then you close on them, and kill them. You cruel pretty little flower. Do you know my sister? Puts the sundew aside. Herborist, holding a new plant in her hand. This is the grass of Parnassus. It makes a good hair ointment dot. Pretty is the young lady's hair. Hadapada. You have dug up all the flowers by the roots. Herborist, pointing to the knife. I cut them up by the roots. They must not lose their power. They are all alive dot. Shall I tell you more? Hadapada. Not now, thank you. Herborist, puts the flowers into the bag, points to the sky. Look how red the clouds are. I think we'll have fine weather tomorrow. Hadapada. Do you think so? Herborist. Evening glow means warm. Morning glow means storm. Hadapada is silent. Herborist. Why do you look at me so long? Hadapada. You have such a peaceful smile on your face. Are you always so contented? Herborist. I have no reason not to be. Hadapada. Have you never been discontented with life? Herborist. Yes, when I deserved it. But when one is kind to everyone, life brings peace and happiness. Hadapada. Has kindness never taken revenge? Herborist. Kindness does not take revenge. It is only evil that takes revenge. Hadapada. 
Then you have been obedient to your fate? Herberist. What I say is true, my girl. Life treats us as we deserve. We cannot get rid of our past. Nature is a righteous judge. Hadapada. Nature is heartless and blind. Herberist. Nature is a righteous judge. I shall never forget something that happened thirty years ago. I lived at the seashore then. One day, when I was washing fish with some other girls, we saw a woman from the farm take her child by the hand and lead her out to a jutting rock. When the flood tide came it took her. Hadapada, looking up. Herberist. The case was brought before the judge. The mother insisted that she had left the child on the ridge, and that it must have walked down to the shore while she was gathering some dulse. Each of us had to point out the spot where she had left the child, but the mother pointed to the ridge. As she raised her three fingers to swear that it was true, a wave rose, and out of it shot a white column of foam. It stretched like an arm into the air, like an arm with three swearing fingers. The sea itself swore against her. Had a pada, a cold shiver runs through her. She draws her scarf more closely around her. It is so strangely cold here. Herberist. The sun is going down. I had better be going. The bag upsets, and some plants slip out. Had a pada. The dandelion is slipping out of the bag. Grant the dandelion its life. Herberist. I can't grant the dandelion its life. Perhaps tomorrow a mother will come with her little girl. Rid her of her warts, she will say, for her hands are so fine. Hadapada takes the dandelion in her hands. Grant the dandelion its life. Do you see how it stretches its thousand delicate fingers to the fading light? If you plant it again, it will close up and be silent a whole night with joy. Herberist. You are silent and you don't smile. Is it with joy? Hadapada. You must not ask me that. Herberist. Smile, and I will grant the dandelion its life. Hadapada. Now I am smiling. Herberist thrusts her hand into the bag. Tell me of your joy, young woman. Each time you give an answer you grant a flower its life. Dot. Of all things, what is the softest you have ever felt? Hadapada. The hair on my cheek when my lover stroked it. Herberist taking a plant from the bag. Now you have granted the yarrow its life. Dot. Tell me of your joy, young woman. What made your hand so pretty? Hadapada. Happiness made my hand so pretty. It has smoothed back the hair from the most beautiful forehead. Herberist taking out another plant. Now you have granted the catchfly its life. Dot. What cast the shade of sorrow in your eyes? Hadapada. Now you are not asking me of joy. Now I will not answer. Herberist shows her a new plant, fondling the flower. Why shall the violet die? Hadapada. Do not ask me why the violet shall die. I want to be alone. Herberist gets up, puts the bag on her shoulder, takes the knife and flowers. God bless thee, young woman. The Lord be with thee, Hadapada. Disappears to the left. The sun sets behind the mountains and twilight gradually descends. Hadapada sits gazing into space. Suddenly she is startled by voices, and she disappears into the bushes. Native and foreign tourists come from behind the rock, two by two, crossing the stage, conversing. German and French are heard. Behind them all comes a young woman, waiting till the others are gone, she calls. 
Hada Pada. Hada. Hrafnhild. She shades her eyes with her hand. There they are. Goes out to the right. Ingolf and Christian enter from behind the rock. Ingolf stops. Look, there are the children gathering berries. Do you see Hrafnhild? Christian. No, but I see Helga walking toward them. Ingolf. I wonder if Hrafnhild is down in the hollow? Christian. Perhaps she is. Ingolf. We won't pass there then. Let's rest here for a moment. Sits down. Christian. You act as if Hrafnhild were still your sweetheart. Ingolf. What do you mean? Christian. I thought you wanted to show me the greater consideration. But it is quite the contrary. Sometimes you are positively hard to me, just to spare Hrafnhild every conceivable annoyance. Ingolf. Do you remember the day after? When she walked around trying to smile to everyone. She was like a sick butterfly. You didn't complain then that I was too considerate to her. Christian, disregarding his remark. You and she, you wear the rings. You are the lovers in everyone's opinion. And I have to endure it. Ingolf. You gave your consent for us to wear the rings till we leave here. Christian. My consent, yes. If it is a consent that you made me pity her. I don't think she needs any pity now. Ingolf. Yes, it is very strange. Today, today and yesterday she has been tingling with joy. Christian, sitting down. Now you can see how deeply her love touched her. After one week she's as though nothing had ever happened. Ingolf. Hrafnhild is proud by nature. She would never let it be seen that an unfortunate love affair could make her miserable. Christian. Yes, she is proud by nature. She is everything fine dot. And I, I am nothing. Tears in her eyes. Ingolf. You are the loveliest woman in the world. Embraces her. Hada Pada appears between the bushes, seeing them she stops an instant, then goes toward them. I didn't know you were here. Ingolf gets up. We have just come from the falls. Hada Pada. And I was just gathering berries. Aren't my lips blue? Why are you so silent, Runa, dear? Christian does not answer. Hada Pada, in a changed voice. I am going away tomorrow. Ingolf. Going away tomorrow? Christian. Going away? Hada Pada. I leave tomorrow. I'm going with Helga Dot. Let us part, friends Dot. I have only one thing to say to you before I go. Ingolf. What is that? Hada Pada. You may feel safe now. I won't be the shadow in your sunny path. I don't love you any longer, Ingolf. Ingolf and Christian look at her amazed. Hada Pada. Nor do I bear you a grudge. That is why I can tell you this. Ingolf. I always knew you were high-minded, Hrafnhild, but... Hadapada. And Runa, dear, won't we be the same friendly sisters we have always been? Strokes her hair. Do you want to see that I love you as much as ever? Takes her hand. Come, let me take you in my arms. Christian, bursting into tears, she throws herself into Hada's arms. Hada, dear. Hadapada presses Christian violently to her breast. Christian, throwing her head back. Hada, Hada, you are hurting me. Hada, Pada, let's go of her, turns to Ingolf. And now I would like to speak to you for a moment. May I? Ingolf. 
Yes, certainly. Hada pada, oh, there's Helga. She is looking for me, Runa, dear, may I say a few words to Ingolf? You meet Helga, and start for home with her, won't you? Christian. I'll do that, Hada. Hurries away. Hada pada sits down. I think I have discovered that you don't really enjoy your new happiness. That is why I want to talk to you. Ingolf. You have told me all I want to hear. Hada pada, involuntarily frowning a moment. It is strange how proud the imagination can be, pretending to be a strong reality. If I had really loved you at all, I would still. I do not. So long as you were free, I made myself believe I had a certain claim to you. But once you were engaged to anyone else, the same thing would have happened. I should have forgotten you in a week. Ingolf. You need not tell me this, I know it. Hadapada. What do you know? Ingolf. I know that you deny your own heart for the sake of others. Hadapada. Now you think too highly of both of us. I am not so good as you would make me, and it is not so difficult to forget you as you imagine. You won't believe that I have succeeded in forgetting you. Won't you believe either that I have made every effort to do it? The day before yesterday I locked myself in my room and took out your letters to see whether I could bear to read them. I wanted to test myself. You know I like to get to the very heart of things. Well, I read letter after letter. It is a remarkable power that is given to a trivial matter. If I had not read the letters, I might still have felt unhappy, but I read and read with ever-increasing calmness. I don't believe my feelings. I go walking, searching for all the places where the earth must be scorched with burning pleasures, in order to know whether they enkindle memories so sacred that they can again inflame me. Everything, everything, is extinguished. What is the matter, little Hada? Does everything leave you cold? Is this death, perhaps? And a mixed feeling of joy and pain seizes me, for this came so unexpected, it came so unexpected, it came so unexpected. Ingolf. What is the matter, Raffenhild? Are you ill? You are so excited. Why are you so eager to tell me all this? Hadapada. Because I don't want you to think I am making any sacrifice. You think so, but I am not. Ingolf. I understand. Hadapada. No, you don't understand. There was still one place where I was afraid to go, because it meant more to me than any other. I grasped my heart with fear, and there I seemed to find the place. It was the Angelica Gorge, where you had put your life in my hands. I was afraid that if I went there, I would instantly lose the peace of mind I had gained. But if I could not bear that, then this peace was nothing but an illusion. I wanted to be sincere with myself, so I went up there last night. Ingolf. We saw you walking up the mountain. Hadapada. I lay down on the edge of the cliff and looked down into the depth from which I had seen you come up. Little heart, I said. Try to be calm while I am tormenting you. Here it was that he raised himself up on the rope I held. Here it was that he showed me how well he loved me. But instead of feeling pain, my whole frame quivered with trembling joy. Here, too, I had conquered. Tears of gratitude came into my eyes. I stretched myself farther out on the edge to make my tears of joy fall into the chasm, down to the very bottom dot. Do you see now that I am not going to make a sacrifice? Now tell all this to Runa, for she should know it too. Ingolf, very much moved, throws himself at her feet. 
When you have risen I will kiss the ground your feet have marked. Hada pada. Then I shall never rise. Don't lie down like that. Get up, engulf, engulf. I will lie down and forget. Let me dream of death for one moment. Hada pada. Death. You who are happy. Engulf. Death is not unhappiness. Hada pada. Come, sit down again. I will tell you what death is. Last night I was only a hair's breadth away from it. Ingolf starts, terror-stricken, he half-arises. What are you saying? Hadapada. When I lay there on the edge of the gorge, looking down, something dazzlingly white flashed before my eyes. Quite instinctively I reached out for it. It was as if my hands perceived what it was, before my eyes had had time to make it clear to me. It was the string of pearls which bad loosened from my hair. I reached for it without considering how unsafely I was lying there, when suddenly I felt myself slipping down. The sensation cannot be described. While my right hand reached for the pearls which were dropping down into the gorge, my left caught hold of the turf on the brink. I was losing my balance and nothing held me up but a few blades of grass. I felt my heart in my throat and a cold perspiration over my whole body. Now the grass was giving way, now I clawed my fingers down into the earth and dug my feet into it, but it was too hard. I tried to press my knees down into the turf. Nothing helped. I was slipping. Life or death. To the right there was a stone. I let go of the grass, and blindly swung my body to the right. My feet slipped beyond the edge, but my hands had caught hold of the stone. When I got to the edge again, I lay in a stupor for a long time and I did not know whether I was at the bottom of the gorge or at the top dot. Never have I loved life as I do today. Ingolf. How horrible! But what made you wear the pearls? Hadapada. It was foolish, but I don't know whether you can blame me. One day, when I was almost melancholy, and I could not talk to anybody, I was seized with an unconquerable homesick feeling. I yearned for mother, and felt how much I loved her. I took the pearls out and looked at this precious heirloom, which she had given me. I fastened it in my hair, and immediately I felt better. That was why I wore them the next day too. Ingolf. And now they lie at the bottom of the gorge. Hadapada. Yes. Ingolf. What are you going to tell your mother? Hadapada. I won't tell her anything before I know whether they will be found. Ingolf. Have you asked anyone to search for them? Hadapada. I just thought of asking Steinder, but I can hardly bring myself to tell him, if afterwards they should not be found. Ingolf, a vague disquietude takes possession of him. He is silent for an instant, then stares at Hadda, trying to read the influence of his words upon her. Well, you are going tomorrow, and the very next day I will go down into the gorge and look for them. Hadapada. Will you really engulf? And not tell Runa that I lost them? Mother must not know that I have treated the pearls so carelessly. Engulf. I won't tell anyone. Hadapada, looking at him with wide open eyes. I'd like it even more if you would do it before I left. If you looked for them tomorrow morning while I am getting ready to go, then you'd spare me the anxiety. Take Steinder with you, will you? Engulf gets up. All doubt leaves his mind as he looks into her face, and he is ashamed of the unworthy suspicion that had touched his soul. Yes, Hrafnhild, don't be distressed. 
We shall find your pearls. Aren't you coming with me? Hada. Pada. No, I will wait for the children. Ingolf. Good night, Hrafhild. Goes. Hada Pada. Good night. Looks after him for a long time. Her eyes fill with tears, and she throws herself down weeping violently. Soon the voices of children, laughing, are heard nearby. She looks up, passes her hand over her eyes, hears the children's footsteps, and lies down again as if asleep. The children enter. In addition to the berries, each of them carries a bouquet of flowers. Little Scully. She's asleep. He takes his bouquet, and those of the others, placing them around her head. The children sit down quietly, eating their berries. Act 4. A deep gorge viewed from the side, its walls running obliquely down from right to left. The upper end of the outer edge merges into the mountain slope, which shuts out the view to the left. It is foggy. On the left, as the fog lifts, a waterfall glistens in the distance, like a broad white streak in the air. The sides of the gorge are abruptly terminated by a cliff, the top of which is grass-grown. Here, Ingolf and Steinder are sitting. Beside them is a long rope. Steinder. Just look how it is drizzling. I can write on my clothes. Forms letters on his sleeve. Ingolf strokes his finger along his sleeve. My suit just matches the drizzle. Steinder is silent. Ingolf is aroused, as from a reverie. Are you rested? Steinder. Oh, very nearly. Ingolf. You should have let me pull you up. It is too tiring to raise oneself. Steinder. I have been lowering myself into this gorge for fourteen years now, to get Angelica, and always without help. This is no height at all. Ingolf. How high do you think it is? Steinder. Only half a rope length. Ingolf. How long is a rope length? Steinder. A hundred and twenty feet. Ingolf. Have you lowered yourself that far? Steinder. I guess even a little more. One summer on the Westman Isles, I went down three rope lengths for foul, but then I tied the rope around my waist and took a stick along to push myself off from the rock so that the rope wouldn't turn. Ingolf. The rope turned round with me before. Steinder. Only practice can prevent it. Ingolf gets up, walks out to the brink, and looks down into the gorge. Did you look everywhere possible? Steinder. I did. Ingolf. So did I. But it is very dark in some places, and there are so many holes. Did you look in the holes? Steinder. Well, I wasn't going to crawl into every pit. That would be an endless job. Besides, I think it serves these women right, once in a while, to have themselves to blame. It teaches them to take better care next time. Ingolf. Don't speak to anyone about it. She asked me not to tell anybody. I wouldn't have told you if I'd had any luck in my search. But I thought perhaps you might be able to find them. Steinder. You told the family that you had lost your diamond ring. Ingolf. Yes, then we will say we have found it. Looks down into the gorge. How uncanny it looks down there. It is as if the fog were shunning the gully, so inky black. See how somber the ravine looks. Steinder gets up and walks out on the brink. Ingolf. It looks uncanny down there. Warning him, don't go too near the edge. Steinder laughing. 
Steinder can take care of himself. Ingolf. Have you ever fallen, Steinder? Steinder. Oh, well, I've had my share of that. Ingolf. How did it affect you? Steinder. I don't wish myself a better death, if the fall is high enough. One winter I was going over a gully, clogged with the frozen snow pile. I had to pass it, so I forced my stick down into the pile, and leaped over it. I tried to pull it out as I came over, but it stuck tight, and threw me backwards. I knew nothing more, until I woke up at the foot of the rocks, and saw the blood stains on the snow. I had scratched myself on the edge as I grazed over it. Ingolf. And otherwise you got off all right? Steinder. Quite all right. I landed on the soft snow. Had it been rocky below, I would have died instantly. Since that day, I say falling from a height isn't the worst death. You lose all consciousness in falling. Ingolf. To fall from here would be horrible. Steinder. It's more horrible thinking about it than anything else. Ingolf. It would be quite a fall. Steinder. Oh, yes, I think you would get your fill. Ingolf. Here, take the rope, Steinder. Let us go. Steinder, looking around. Someone is coming up along the ravine. Ingolf. Where? Steinder. There, why, it's Raffenhild. She is nearly here now. Ingolf. What is she carrying over her shoulder? Steinder. It looks like a spade. Ingolf. Come, let's go and meet her. They take a few steps. Hanapada is heard calling. Wait. Ingolf. What do you think she wants with a spade? Hanapada is heard calling, almost out of breath. I wanted to catch you before you went down. Enters. There was nobody else at home to bring the spade, so I offered to do it. Ingolf. Did you tell mother we were coming here? Hadapada? She asked. She saw you walk up the mountain. I told her you had lost your diamond ring in the gorge, and you and Steinder were going down to look for it. Ingolf. Did she send you with the spade? Hadapada? No, she said that if she had known it, she would have asked you to take a spade along and get some angelicas for the garden. That is why I followed you. Walks out and drives the spade in the ground. Have you been down already? Ingolf. Yes, we have. Hadapada. Did you find your diamond ring? Ingolf. We did not find your pearls dot. Yes, I had to tell Steinder. I went down first and searched very carefully. Then I asked Steinder to go down. I thought he might have better luck. Steinder. They will never be found. Hadapada. They must be found. They shall be found. Ingolf looks questioningly into her eyes. Are you sure they did not fall beyond that lowest rock? Points in the direction. Hadapada eagerly, and returning his glance calmly. No, no, I saw them fall, just by the big stone. You haven't looked carefully enough. It has really taken you no time at all. Ingolf. I hunted for them everywhere, as if I were searching for a needle. Steinder. I can't search any better than I have. Hadapada. Then it is due to the fog. Probably I have to wait till later. No, I can't go home without them. Steinder. The fog is not so dense that they couldn't be found on its account. You can see all around, down in the gorge. Just look. Hadapada, 
walks out to the edge, looks down, turns round abruptly. Did you search in the pool near the big stone? It might have fallen there. Steinder. I took a look at it, but I didn't see anything. Ingolf. I would have seen them glitter in the water, if they were there. Hadapada. Glitter in the water. And the pool covered with duckweed. So that's how you search. Did you look all through the duckweed? Did you fish it out of the pond, to see if the pearls were hidden in it? Ingolf. No, I didn't do that. Steinder. No, it may be possible. Hadapada. Yes, it is possible, to be sure. Hundreds of women might have lost their pearls down there, without your having found them. Steinder. No, I think you are the only one. Hadapada turns quickly toward Ingolf. What do you think mother will say when she hears that I have lost the heirloom? Resolutely. Men never can find anything. Men do not understand how to search. Tears the rope from Steinder. I had better go down myself. Ingolf. You don't really intend to go down? Hadapada ties one end around her waist. I intend to do what I can to find my lost treasure again. Steinder. You will not go far, I think, before you ask us to pull you up. Hadapada. I have been lowered into this gorge before. Ingolf takes the loose end. I forbid you to go down, Hrafnhild. Hadapada. You forbid me? I forbid you to touch this rope. Or shall we see who is stronger? Pulls the rope. Ingolf, coming nearer to her, he lets the rope slip. I know what you are thinking, Hrafnhild. You want us to go down again, and you know this is the only way you can get us to do it. Hadapada. Do you think I am afraid to go down? It would only give me joy. And if you didn't find the pearls, when you looked for them the second time, I would go down, anyhow. I would never be at rest until I had searched myself. Indolf lets go of the rope, takes Steinder aside, he nods. They both look at Hrafnhild while she fastens the rope around her waist more securely. Ingolf. What are you going to do now? Hadapada, having finished tying the knot, holds the rope out to them. Will you hold the rope while I go down? Ingolf. No, I won't. Steinder. I won't either. Hadapada bites her lips, stares at the men. Go on home. Starts to wind up the rope. I don't need you. You think I can't do without you? You think the mountain hasn't stones heavy enough to keep me up? Runs away and disappears toward the mountain. Ingolf. I don't remember exactly. It's quite impossible to enter the gorge from below, isn't it? Steinder. So far, only the birds have that privilege. It's a headlong precipice on three sides. Ingolf. I won't let Hrafnhild go down. Steinder. She says she has gone down in the gorge before. Is that true? Ingolf nods reluctantly. Yes. Steinder. When was that? Ingolf. Last summer. Steinder. Did you hold the rope? Ingolf. I did. Steinder. Well, then I don't know what you are afraid of. Ingolf. It seems strange that Hrafnhild should come up here. Steinder. She came with the spade. Ingolf. It seems strange we didn't find the pearls if they were in the gorge. Steinder. She'll be lucky if they are ever found. Ingolf. It seems strange that she dropped them. When I saw that she herself was coming here, it flashed across my mind 
that she hadn't dropped the pearls in the gorge after all. Steinder. I don't understand. What are you driving at? Do you think it is something she invented? Why should she? Ingolf. I am afraid to let her go down. Hada Pada enters with a large stone in her arms which she places on the edge. She has the coil of rope thrown over her shoulder. Laughs. So you haven't gone yet? Takes the spade and starts to dig. Don't you think I can do without you now? I will dig a deep, deep hole. Then I'll tie one end of the rope around the stone and place it into the hole dot. Then I'll go and get more stones up in the mountain and pile them up. You will see how well it will hold. Ingolf, examining the stone. So you think it will hold? Well, takes the stone and flings it into the ravine. Hada Pada, smiling, she looks at Ingolf. I shall take better care next time. Running away, Ingolf and Steinder look after her. Steinder. She is determined to go down. Ingolf. I will offer to go down again. Let us both offer to go down. Steinder. She said she would go down anyhow, if we didn't find the pearls. Ingolf. Just look how fast she is running. She is holding her hand to her breast. Steinder. Now she is stopping. She is lifting a stone. Now she has thrown it away. Ingolf. She runs without stopping. Steinder. Now she has found a new stone. Ingolf. She is bending over it. What is she doing? Steinder. She is tying the rope around it. She won't let you hurl this one over. Ingolf. She is lifting the stone and carrying it in her arms. Steinder. She is strong, Rafnhild is. Now she is running with it. Ingolf. See how the earth is slipping from under her feet. See how the pebbles pursue her. She is running away from them with the big stone. She is holding it in her arms as if it were a child she were rescuing. Hada Pada enters, carrying the stone which she cautiously places on the edge. Smiles. You haven't gone yet. What are you waiting for? Takes the spade and starts to deepen the hole. Ingolf. Steinder and I will go down for you. We will search as thoroughly as possible. Hada Pada. You are kind. But now I will let nothing prevent me from going down. Had you offered to do so before, I would have accepted. But when you say you forbid me to go down, I intend to go. Steinder walks restlessly near the edge. Ingolf. You know that we can prevent you from going down. Hada Pada. You can. How? Ingolf. We can take the rope from you and go home. Hada Pada. Yes, you can do that. Turns away. Ingolf. What would you do then? Hada Pada, in same position. Go home and get another rope. Ingolf. Don't be so obstinate, Hrafenhild. Hada Pada, in a low voice. Why don't you call me by my pretty name anymore? We aren't enemies. Promise to call me Hada Pada always. When I leave today, when I mount my horse and ride away, wave your hat to me and call, Goodbye, Hada Pada. Ingolf. Are you determined to go today? Hada Pada. Determined. Rolls the stone into the hole, takes it up again, and digs deeper. Ingolf. You won't accept our offer? Hada Pada. No, I won't. Ingolf. Then stop your digging. It is useless. Hadapada looks at him, puzzled. Ingolf. 
you must understand that we will not stand by and let you go down with only a loose stone to hold you up. Hadapada. True, I wouldn't be as nervous if I knew you were holding the rope. Puts the spade aside and looks down into the gorge. Ingolf unties the rope from the stone. Hadapada. I don't know whether I dare go down, Ingolf. Ingolf. Don't go, give it up. Hadapada. I never saw the gorge so hushed. How it stretches its cold, greedy stone fingers into the air, but imagine my finding the pearls. Determined, I must go down. Is the rope safe? Steinder, standing near them. Even if there were three Hadapadas. Hadapada. Ingolf. I am not afraid to be lowered down by your hands. Lies down with her feet over the edge. Steinder. There are others beside Ingolf, to be sure, who could hold up one woman. Ingolf. I hate to see you go down. Hadapada is silent for an instant, turns abruptly around, looks down the gorge, gets up and takes the spade. You aren't sitting safely, Ingolf. I will deepen the hole, so that you can have something to push your feet against. Diggs. Steinder. With an amused smile. You believe you are heavier than you are, Hadapada. Ingolf. I ask you once again, to give up the idea? Hadapada. Are you afraid you will lose me? Ingolf. You can spare your scoffing. Hadapada. I am not scoffing. I'm the one who is afraid. You are not so strong as you pretend. Steinder, will you hold the rope with him? Ingolf. You don't have to sneer at me. At his glance, Steinder turns away. Hadapada. Now set your feet securely, Ingolf, and both of you hold the rope. Do that for me, and I'll go down quite fearlessly. Ingolf. Well, we will both hold the rope. Steinder sits down, catching the rope too. Hadapada. Now I am safe. Disappears below the edge. The rope is seen sliding slowly and firmly through their hands. Ingolf, pushing Steinder away. Get up. I won't accept an affront like this. Not to let me hold the rope alone. Get up and keep an eye on her, but don't let her see you. Steinder gets up. The rope slides down for a time. The voice of Hadapada. Ingolf. Ingolf. Well? Stops the rope. The voice of Hadapada. Are you both holding the rope? Ingolf. Yes. The voice of Hadapada. Tell me the truth, Ingolf. Ingolf. We are both holding the rope. The voice of Hadapada. Tell me the truth. Is Steinder holding the rope? Ingolf, to Steinder. You have let her see you. Steinder. No, no. The voice of Hadapada. Why did you deceive me, Ingolf? Pull me up. Ingolf pulls up the rope. Hadapada reappears over the edge. Why did you deceive me? Ingolf. I felt ashamed to hold the rope with someone else. Hadapada. The idea flashed upon me. That is why I called. I knew your pride. But suddenly I grew nervous. I seemed so far from all human life. Since you don't want Steinder to hold the rope, he must stand someplace where I can always see him. Steinder, stand where I can see you. Now and then you'll call to me. You'll just call, Hadapada. And I will answer yes. Then we will get word from each other. Here, on the edge, you can see me, 
points to the farther edge, down there on the ledge, I can see you perfectly. Ingolf. Yes, do that, Steinder. Steinder. All right. Goes there. Hada pada. Why don't you place your feet in the hole, so that you will sit more securely? Ingolf. Are you afraid I'm sitting too near the edge? Hada pada takes the end of the rope. There is no knot on the end. Fancy if the rope slipped out of your hands. Ties a knot in it. Ingolf. Why are you so frightened? Hada pada. I don't know. It wasn't fair to prevent Steinder from holding the rope with you. Ingolf. If you are so afraid, of course we will both hold the rope. Hada pada. I don't know. Oh, no, hold it alone. I also want to see someone, to see him stand there, and hear him call to me. Ingolf. I prefer that. Hada pada. But now if it should slip from you. If you open your hand a hair's breadth too much, you will lose the rope. She starts with a shudder. Ingolf. I shall let the rope slide over my shoulder. Will you be more at ease then? Act 5. Hada pada. If you tie it around your waist, so that it will be impossible for you to let go of me, then I will be at ease. Ingolf gazes intently at her, as if to penetrate the mysterious veil which envelopes her manner, her words, and her actions. Suddenly he grasps the end of the rope and ties it around his waist. Hadapada sits down on the edge. I nearly forgot the spade. I will dig up an angelica and take it along with me. Disappears below the edge. The rope slides for a time. Ingolf. You can see her, Steinder? Steinder. She is like an expert rope climber. She is keeping herself from the rock with the spade. Ingolf. Don't lose sight of her. Tell me how she is getting along. Steinder. I am not anxious about her going down. Now she is about passing the ledge. There, now you can let the rope slide quicker. Ingolf. It is strange how the rope slides out of my hands. It is as if a living worm were boring out through them. Steinder calls. Hadapada. The voice of Hadapada. Yes. Steinder. She is flying down. Now the rope is turning. It is strange to see someone else lowered down. Ingolf. Is it still turning? Steinder. Now it is turning to the other side. Hadapada. The voice of Hadapada just audible. Yes. Steinder. Lower her faster, it amuses her. She waved her hand to me. Ingolf. She waved her hand to you. Steinder. Oh, she lost the spade. Ingolf. She lost the spade. Didn't she throw it? Steinder. I think she lost it. Act 4. Ingolf. What is she doing now? Steinder. I can't see. Ingolf. Is she doing anything? It isn't possible. Has she a long way left? Gives the rope as quickly as possible. Steinder. No dot. Had a pada. Ingolf. Now I don't hear her answer. Steinder. Nor I. Calls louder. Had a pada. Listens. Ingolf. Do you hear her answer? Steinder. No. Yes, yes, now she has heard. She is waving. She is waving with both hands. Ingolf. Good. She is all right then. Steinder. Now I think she is down. Ingolf. 
The rope does not slacken. Steinder. I don't see her moving anymore. Ingolf, as the rope slackens. Well, now she is down. Do you see her? Steinder. She just picked up the spade. Now she is going with it way under the rock. Ingolf, he holds the rope so loosely that it runs freely through his fingers. She evidently intends to dig up some Angelica before searching. Steinder. The rope is dragging along with her. She has not untied it. Ingolf. Do you see her? Steinder. No. Ingolf. Let us wait calmly. Rests his chin in his palm. Steinder. No. Ingolf. I wish she would come out soon. Ingolf. Do you see her? Steinder. No. Ingolf. I can't understand what is keeping her so long. Steinder. You couldn't expect her any sooner. Peers down. She has just come from under the rock. She has an Angelica with her. Ingolf. She is jerking the rope. She jerked three times. Steinder. She tied the spade and Angelica to the rope. Pull it up. Ingolf pulls the rope up quickly. Steinder. Now she is going to look for the pearls. Ingolf. The fear and anxiety seen on his face all this time give place to a more cheerful expression. Now we can be at ease. Who knows, maybe she will find the pearls. Steinder. She is searching in the pool. She is pulling out the duckweed. Ingolf draws the spade and Angelica up over the edge, loosens the rope, coils it up, and throws it down again. Steinder. She is walking around the pool. Now she has turned her back to me. I can't see. I think she is looking around. She is bending over the pool. Ingolf. Now I am at ease. Steinder. Now she jumped up. She is raising her arms. She is waving the pearls at me. Ingolf. Bravo, bravo. Steinder. It was just a piece of luck. Now she is tying the rope around herself. Ingolf. She just pulled. Now I'll be quick about it. Starts pulling. Steinder, after a while. It looks as if she were sleeping on the rope. Ingolf. What? Steinder. Her body is relaxed. Should I call to her? Ingolf. No, don't disturb her. I know the pleasure of cleaving the air with closed eyes. Steinder. Now she starts. Now she seems to be at rest again. She is crouching like one who is cold in bed. Ingolf. Tell me when we reach the ledge. Steinder. There isn't much left now. Aren't you tired pulling? Ingolf. Not very. Steinder, smiling. You will show your sweetheart how strong you are. Ingolf. Aren't we at the ledge yet? Steinder. Not quite. Ingolf, pulling on. Steinder. She looks strange now. She is grasping the rope firmly. She is cringing. She looks like a spider winding her way up. The voice of Hadapada. Ingolf. Ingolf. Well. The voice of Hadapada. I will rest on the ledge. Ingolf continues pulling. You will be up soon. The voice of Hadapada. No, no, Ingolf. The rope is too tight. Dot. You must not pull like that. Dot. The rope hurts me so under my breast. The rope relaxed. Ingolf stops pulling. Steinder motions to him. You must hold the rope tight. 
so that she can raise herself up to the ledge dot. Well, now she is there. Ingolf. What is she doing? Steinder. She is sitting down. She is adjusting the rope around her waist. Or, what? Yes, she has untied it. The voice up had a pada. You need not stay here any longer, Steinder. I am not afraid any more. Steinder. I am very comfortable here. The voice of Hadapada, she is heard laughing. Shall I stone the raven away from his nest? Beware, you blackbird. A small stone flies through the air and falls down near Steinder. He starts. The voice of Hadapada. Were you afraid of the stone? Steinder. I think it an unnecessary joke. The voice of Hadapada. Ha! Ha! Did you think I would stone you? It is fun to scare you. Shall I try to hit you with the rope? Ingolf, let the rope go, please. I will try to hit Steinder with it. He is deathly afraid. Steinder, who now wants to show that he understands the joke. I wager you won't reach me. Ingolf, I bet she hits you. The voice of Hadapada. I would have hit before, if the rope hadn't been too short. Steinder. No, you never would have done it. You have to aim better than that. The voice of Hadapada. The rope was too short. Steinder. It's easy to lengthen it. Ingolf. Give her full rope. Let us see if she can hit me. Ingolf, laughing. You must take care, Steinder. He holds the rope loosely in his hands. Gradually it is pulled down entirely, till it is in a straight line with Ingolf's waist. Soon after the rope end is seen hitting against the edge, touching Steinder's foot, the voice of Hadapada. Didn't it hit? Steinder. Well, we can call it that. Ingolf. You have to be careful. Next time, Steinder. Steinder. What? Won't you try any more? Are you tying the rope around you? Ingolf. Is she rested? Steinder. She is tying the rope around her and is lowering herself down under the ledge. Ingolf looks at him in astonishment. What are you saying? Steinder. But why has she made the rope so taut? He is amazed. Ingolf. What is the matter? Steinder. Hadapada is standing on her head in the air. Steinder. She is bracing her feet against the rock. Look out! Ingolf braces his feet against the sides of the hole. Steinder gets up. Ingolf. Stay where you are, and tell me. I'll raise her up in a moment. He pulls the rope with all his strength. A moment later he is dragged prostrate, out to the edge. Steinder runs to him, catching hold of him. Great God! Is she insane? I wouldn't have suspected this. Ingolf, in a low voice. Where does she get that strength from? The rope is pulled still more violently than before. They are both dragged forward. Ingolf rolls on his back, using all his power to draw up the rope. Ingolf. Loosen the rope, quick. He'll try to hold on. Steinder hurries to loosen the rope. While he is doing it, Ingolf struggles to hold fast. Now he is holding his arms high up in the air, rope in hand. Now his arms are pulled down. Each time Steinder thinks he is on the verge of giving up, he lets go of the rope and catches hold of Ingolf. Steinder. Now it is free, supports Ingolf. The rope is once more pulled so violently that it is drawn through Ingolf's hands right up to the knot. 
He holds on to the rope beyond the nadas for life, while they are both dragged further forward. Steinder, frightened. You must let go of the rope. That's all you can do. It is better that she falls alone than that she dragged both of us with her. You must let go. Or I'll let go. Ingolf, looking directly at him. Let go, then, you coward. Steinder. Why did you want me to untie the rope, if you intend to make her drag you down? Ingolf, with icy calmness. Have you courage to hold me while I try to get up? Gets up. Steinder, still supporting him. She is probably exhausted, now. Ingolf, starts to pull the rope up. He is bareheaded, his hat is lying on the edge, his hair is wet with perspiration, which trickles down on his face. The very shape of his head seems strangely altered. Leave me, Steinder. I am through with you. Steinder. I won't stand here idle and see you dragged into the chasm. Ingolf. Get out of my sight, do you hear? Or you'll see what's in store for you. Steinder. She's mad, I tell you, she's mad. Takes a few steps and stops. Ingolf pulls the rope up, quickly and firmly, with caution in each grasp. Hada Pata's white and beautiful hand appears above the edge of the gorge, holding a large, shining knife, which cuts the rope. Hada Pata, in falling. Ingolf. Ingolf is thrown back as the resistance is cut off. He jumps up, rushes to the edge, crying with horror Hada Pata. He gazes down into the gorge for a moment. His knees give way under him. He stretches up his arms, uttering a terrible cry of horror. Steinder approaches. Ingolf looks down into the gorge. Listlessly, he lifts the hand which holds the fragment of rope. His eyes are dim with tears which do not fall. Through the moisture of the tears, he looks at the newly cut wound in the rope. 